0: We did have a great week at VBS, but first things first, before I get into all the stuff that Teresa gave me to share with you, stand up, man. (laughs) Stand up. Look, I'll I'll go first. I am 41 before asking. I'm 41. How old are you? 40. 40. 40. That that was him doing the worm. (laughs) So Big Daddy Word is also Big Daddy Worm, and I really think you need to do it right now. I mean, I think everybody thinks you need to do it right now. Oh my what, what are we got to do? This? Is that good? Are you healed up enough from the other day? All right. Show us what you got. I don't want to fall down. I don't want to mess anything up. Besides myself. But that's <laughs> I couldn't do that when I was 14, let alone 40. i am never going able to do that. He told me that he learned at camp that he's got to start laying down now. Like, you know, he used to start standing up, but he pulled a hamstring at camp. So we kind of modified that part a little bit. I'm still impressed, man. Like, every time I see it, I'm impressed. Am I in the right spot, Justin? Am I good for the camera? All right. So here's what Teresa sent from the week. It was a really fun week. Um, we had 190 kids registered. 57 volunteers, so thank you to all of our volunteers. Um, Yeah, thank you very much. 17 of those volunteers were our students uh, working with Eric, and so that's just awesome. Like That picture of disciple-making and reproduction, and and we're trying to make disciples out of our students who are making disciples out of our kids, um, that's a real goal of ours. We had over 20 children who responded to the gospel this week as it was presented, and Teresa is following up with all of them and their families. Um, we actually had a, we got a, a new Christians class scheduled for this Saturday, and if, if you um, or anybody in your family, want, it's not just for kids. Usually there's a lot of kids in there when Teresa has those classes, but anybody would like to come this Saturday, we'd love for you to come to that. Uh, Teresa does lead that. And so we're looking forward um, to having kids and families go through that and, and getting to celebrate some baptisms here in the next few weeks. Our three, and Keith, I know already mentioned some of these people, but Teresa just asked me to specifically mention our directors again, um, Ashley Lee, Ruth Rose, and Jody Scully. We're kind of behind the scenes driving everything. And so thank you all for that. And then um, our kids gave... to the weekly offering, and uh, Teresa had found a a ministry that we partnered with that is actually providing school supplies to children on Native American reservations that are in need, and they're able to buy a year's worth of school supplies for a kid for a dollar. So we've got 413 uh, children who have school supplies this year because of what our kids gave. And so it was just a good week on a lot of different levels, Um, and we're thankful for that, and it was a lot of fun. Eric wasn't the only one bringing the fun, but Eric definitely brought a lot of the fun. Um, Along the same lines of kind of lighthearted, last week I was so serious when I got up here I forgot to comment on this, and so I'm going to back up. If you're one of those people who checks the bulletin every week and looks at the giving numbers, you probably noticed last week that it was a really, really, really large number, like 13 times larger than what it is this week. And I don't know if you connected the dots, but I had been gone for two weeks. (laughs) And two other people taught, and for some reason you decided that that was much more inspiring (laughs) to give like six figures when I'm not here. And so I just want you to know I can take a hint, and I'm gonna be taking two weeks off every month from now until 2027, and you feel free to give that way those two weeks, every time I'm gone, if it works even better, I can take off two months at a time. But in all seriousness, thank you um, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your generosity. And it is, for us, where we are as a church right now, it's something that we can celebrate and thank God and praise God that he's working in people's hearts, that he's moving, that he's providing in ways that it's not like we can just dial that up and make it happen. Um, and it's, it's something that gives us, as a church, um, just much-needed financial support, and also time as we continue to say, God, what does this look like over the next six months, 12 months, 18 months? Um, It's a a really beneficial thing, and I want to acknowledge it in a way that I thank you, but also in a way that we thank God, and we praise God for the way that he's working in our hearts, and that he provides that way, and that when we need the gift of time, he's given us the gift of time, and stretching out time for us to figure things out, and and your elders are, are still in a lot of conversations with insurance company and realtors and other people and renting and getting stuff fixed and all that sort of stuff. Those conversations are still happening. A whole lot of them happened this past week. And if you'll keep praying you know that God would just open the right doors, lead us in the right ways, show us what our next steps and next decisions need to be at the right time. And one of the things that these last couple weeks did is it, it stretches out the amount of time that we get to figure out what do those next steps look like and, and what doors we walk in. So I really am thankful and I am dead serious because the other thing is Uh, Keith and Darren did a great job. And uh, next week, uh, Lou Beltran is going to be teaching for us. And then a few weeks after that, Adam Alm. And so the great thing about saying the Bible is what's central, and this never changes, and the Spirit is the master teacher, is that in one sense it really doesn't matter who's up here. But also, if you want to give that way when other people up here, I am serious, other people can be up here a whole lot more. Um, So I didn't take it personally, but... I did take it personally uh, (laughs) in a good way, but thank you for that, and I do praise God for that. In addition to what we had going on with VBS this past week, which was a great week, we also had two of our families, uh, the Beltrans, I mentioned Lou just saying, Lou and Jen are one of them, but then also uh, the Bakers, John and Melissa Baker. Lou and John coach softball together, and their daughters, uh, Rachel and Avery, play on a team that got invited to a national softball tournament in Florida, and they actually finished third in the nation um, this past week. And yeah, it was, they did great. They beat the team that ended up winning the gold medal and finishing first, but then they lost in the semifinals and finished third. Um, but the real reason I'm sharing that with you is because while all this was going on here with VBS this week, and we were getting to share with 190 kids the Bible and the gospel about Jesus, Lou and John were down there, and uh, every practice, every game, they see as a chance to have Bible time with those girls and their families. Um, and it's just, it's another way that our church is getting to be the church out in the world and expose all sorts of kids and all sorts of families to the gospel over and over and over. Um, and so we're really thankful for that as well, that, that while well, we've got people that God's bringing here. This week, you know, some of the people he brought here aren't part of this church, technically. He's also got people who are part of this church who he's sending out there to be the church as well um, and, and to know that God's working in ways that are bigger than us, beyond us, outside this state um, is really exciting. And I pray that we'll always just keep that in mind that, that as the church, he's not calling us to gather at a building exclusively and just be the church right here with each other. But he's called us to make disciples of the nations, to go to the ends of the earth and that what that looks like in our lives so much of the time is where he's already sending you. It wasn't like Lou and John said, oh, we got to go do something new to make disciples. It was, what are we already doing? Our, our daughters play softball. We're going to coach a team together, and that's where we're going to make disciples. That Those girls are potential disciples, and their parents are potential disciples, and their siblings are potential disciples. And every time we've got a captive audience at the end of a practice or an end of the game, we're going to talk about Jesus. And we're going to talk about the Bible. And yeah, we're going to play softball, but it's not going to be about softball. It's going to be about Jesus. And I just pray that's what our whole lives will look like. I'm going to live my life, but it's not going to be about my life. It's going to be about Jesus. That everything in my life is an opportunity to point people to Jesus and make this about Jesus. So that was really another exciting piece this week. We're diving into Ephesians today. We finally got there. I know I've been telling you for a while we're going to try to. We're going to look at chapter 1, we're going to read all of chapter 1, and I don't know, there's only six chapters in Ephesians, I don't know each week if we're going to be able to cover a whole chapter in a week, or some chapters may take two or three weeks, but as I looked at this one, I really felt like I couldn't break it up because of the way it's all connected. It's okay if we don't cover it, and after Lou teaches next week, um, he's going to take us back to John, where Keith and Darren had us a few weeks ago, Uh, Lou's going to be in John 12 next week. Um, but when we come back, if we need to spend another week in chapter 1, we will. So don't feel the pressure that we've got to cram everything in this week. Talking to me right now, don't feel the pressure that we've got to cram everything in this week. <laughs> but also, as I was telling Keith, I was like, I think I am going to do the whole first chapter. I was like, well, Because the deal is, after you get through the introduction, verses 3 through 14, like originally when Paul wrote it in Greek, are only one sentence. Like, he'd get an F in English for this run-on sentence, but evidently it was a good thing. So you've got one sentence, and then a prayer at the end of chapter 1. And so Keith was like, just stand up there and tell him, hey, we're only going to do one sentence and a prayer this week. So we're doing one sentence and a prayer this morning. Now that's a whole chapter in the book of Ephesians, but that's what we're doing. Um, and it is, it's rich, and it's deep, and, and there's so much truth about God packed into these verses that I know we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on it. So we'll just see how it goes, how far we make it, and wherever we have to stop today, we'll stop, we'll pick up next time. So I'm going to pray for us. If you will pray right now with me, pray that God by his Holy Spirit would teach us right now, not just me and what I would say, not just you and what you would naturally think, but that God's spirit would be the teacher and he'll open up his word so that we can see these truths about him and he'll open up our eyes to see them and soften our hearts to really believe them and receive them. And then as I read this chapter, be asking, listening primarily for what does this teach us about God? What do we see about who God is, how he has worked, how he does work? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, his nature, his character, his plans. And we'll, we'll list some of those as God shows them to you. And then we'll talk about what that means for us, how it should affect our lives, how it should affect us as a church if this is who God is and we really believe in him or trust in him and following him. So let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for this time right now. Thank you that you have spoken by your Holy Spirit through the people that you inspired to write your word in the Bible. And thank you that you have preserved it and given it to us so that we have a way to know you, to know what you have said, to know what you think, to know what you have done, to know what that means. And Father, you are so high and so far above us that there is no way that we could ever think our way to you or figure out our way to you or understand your ways unless you stoop down and come down and reveal them to us and explain them to us and and teach us. And so we ask you to do that right now. That by your Spirit, from your Word, that you will teach us as only you can, that you would do a spiritual work during this time, not just a human work or an intellectual work or an academic work or or even a religious work, but a work of your spirit in the midst of all those other things, that you would grab hold of them and sanctify them and purify them and redeem them and use them for the purpose of making yourself known in a way that impacts our hearts and changes us because of who you are. So please, Father, open us up to the truth of your word. Open the truth of your word up to us. And do the work that only you can do. We need you to do it. We trust you to do it. We depend on you to do it. And we thank you for doing it in Jesus. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All right, that's Ephesians 1. What's that teach us about God? I know there's so much there to sort through that it takes a minute to decide what am I even going to say, so take your minute if you need to. Yeah. Yeah. God is a triune God, and three personal, triune, the three persons within God, um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we spent a whole Sunday morning on this, mm, say the 17th, six weeks ago maybe, Five or six early in June. If you'd like to go back on the website and listen to that, um, we're not going to go through all that right now. But this, the the doctrine of the Trinity, and we're not saying there's three gods. There is one God, one being, with the divine nature of God. But God, and this this part before you go and blow your mind on the three persons in one being, because it's still. I mean, I don't I don't fully understand that. That's not how we exist. But this first thing I'm going to say right here, I think, is actually understandable, not just believable, but what we would expect if we're thinking rightly about an infinite God. So this God is bigger than us. <laughs> He's more complex than us. He exists on a level we don't exist. There, there are things that are true about him that aren't true about us. There are things that not just are possible for him, but are completely natural, to his nature as God that seem impossible to us. And one of those things is, for us, when you've got one being here as human beings, you've got one person. And we can't imagine how you could be so rich and complex in your existence and your personhood that you could have three persons all fully, perfectly connected in this one being, all being fully God, that God the Father is fully God. And God the Son is fully God. And God the Spirit is fully God. But that is what we see over and over and over in the Bible. And we looked at a lot of places uh, throughout the Bible six weeks ago that make that really clear. But here just in these verses, that in verse 3, Paul starts with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got the Father here and the Son. And we see the work of the Father and Son together before the foundation of the world. That Jesus is there before creation happens, the second person of the Trinity. God the Son is there before creation happens. And then you get down here and you find the promised Holy Spirit guaranteeing our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, that God the Spirit is the one that the Father and Son use to seal their people and guarantee their work and in a sense lock it in for us to all eternity future. And so you've got this work of God stretching from eternity past Which, what does that even mean? Right? Go back a billion years and you're not to eternity past. There's still an infinite amount of time past that. So go another billion years past that and you're not there. And go another billion years, like you never ever get there from where we are. Right? And if if we're starting in eternity past, how do you ever even get here? Because you've got an infinite amount of time from there to here. So we just, there needs to be a piece of humility Anytime we encounter a place in the Bible that starts to talk about the eternal work of God, where we would start and say, I don't even know what eternity past means. I can't comprehend it. I can't wrap my mind around it. No matter how long I think and how far back I think, I can't get to how far back God has been. And if I can't understand eternity past, I certainly can't understand the existence of the infinite God and his eternal purposes that have existed in his mind and heart from eternity past, <laughs> right? There, there, there's a humility here, a humbling of us to come and say God is so much bigger than us. And when he speaks in these ways and reveals these things, he's speaking things to us that they should blow our minds. Like we should be in awe of what we're encountering here. And then not just that it stretches that far that way, it also stretches that far this way. (laughs) like Forever and ever and ever. And it never starts and never ends. Just keep stretching, keep stretching, keep subtracting one and keep adding one, and you never get there. And so that's where we're starting with an infinite, eternal God. That's who he is. And then what's amazing, if you allow yourself to, to bask in that for a minute, that that's who God is, then what this section says, who that God is, what it says about what He's done and how He sees us and views us and interacts with us. So that's where we're headed. What else, what other truths about God do you see in these verses? And he's the link everything on earth and God is the common link. Between everything on earth and in heaven. Maybe I should have said among everything on earth as well. As... Okay. Or among everything on earth. And in heaven. Yeah, but I think both ways are a great way to say them. God's a common link among and between everything on earth and in heaven. That we have this God who at one point God's the only one who existed. Like before God speaks and creates, there's God and nothing else. And then God within himself, because of himself, cuz he's the only one who exists, the only thing there's nothing outside of him that prompts him to do what he does. He's prompted to do what he does by himself because of who he is. And so he creates things other than himself, both in the heavenly realms, you know, angels, spiritual beings, fallen angels that we would now know as demons or devils, but everything in the spiritual realms he creates, and then also in the physical realm, the material realm, he creates by his spoken word. And so everything that exists in the spiritual realms and the physical realm exists because of God. So you've already got the common link there, that that it's all coming from him. But then he's also doing this work because there's been, even though there's that great unity between God and everything he's created, that it's all derived from him, there's also been this great breaking that has taken place. That in rebellion against God, Satan and some of the other angels have fallen. And then by the work of Satan in Genesis 3, in the garden originally, and our susceptibility to temptation, our rebellion against God, our turning away from God, that we've fallen. There's been a breaking of our relationship with him. And that somehow Romans 8 tells us that's poisoned all of creation. That that when we as humans sinned and fell, that spread like a poison throughout the created physical world. And that all of creation now suffers the effects of being broken apart from God in a way that God didn't originally create things to be. That God created us to be united. And so we see this work of Jesus of undoing the effects of that breaking, of bringing back together. And Paul says it several different ways. Um, But right here, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That God is bringing back together, healing, restoring, redeeming the things that have been broken. Making things right. That we're talking both about an infinite and eternal work of God in Ephesians 1. We're also talking about a cosmic, universal, all reality encompassing work of God here. And that all of that is in him and specifically he takes no politics, no time at all to get to that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That all of this eternal, infinite, cosmic, epic, universal, all reality encompassing work of God that God is doing, he's doing in Jesus. That this is who Jesus is. That man who stepped into history about 2,000 years ago, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, coming down fully God and taking human nature upon himself, he is the center of everything that God's doing. Not just in the history of this world, but he's the center of everything that God's doing from all eternity past into all eternity future. It's all in Christ. In Jesus, God is the common link between and among everything on earth and in heaven, and the way God's doing all that work is through Jesus. What else stands out to you? Other truths about God? God chooses us before we choose... Uh-oh. Turned off for some reason. Let's try again. uh There we go. God chooses us before we choose him. God chose us, this is verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And where we get the before we choose him is that's before we exist, right? Before the foundation of the world, before the world exists, which is before we exist. And he's already made a choice in love. I want you to think about this before you have done anything good or bad, before you've done anything to earn God's favor, before there would be something about you that would prompt God to love you or want you or connected to that and really relevant for people like you and me who blow it a lot, before you've done anything that would prompt God to not love you and not choose you and reject you, Like before there's anything outside of God that would determine is he going to love you or not, is he going to accept you or not? Is he going to choose you or not? Before any of that, because none of that exists, you don't exist yet. You have nothing to give to God because you don't even have existence yet. And somehow, and again, I said when you're peering into eternity past, and you and I can't understand eternity past, we certainly can't understand the infinite mind of God and the infinite eternal work of God in eternity past but somehow God looks at you in his mind and his heart. If you are a believer in Jesus right now you are included in Christ. You know this to be. You don't understand it. I don't understand it. But you know this to be true that from all eternity past God has looked at you in his mind and his heart. He said I choose you. God chooses you. He wants you. He approves of you. He accepts you in Christ. The God who needs nothing. <laughs> like he, he was everything. There was nothing beside Him. Right? He has everything. He has created everything. He needs nothing. And somehow He's always wanted you. Chosen you to be His. Do you know the riches of that type of grace? And the beauty of it is, if it initiates in him because of him, it depends on him and not on you. And the whole gospel flows out of this. This is why when we are wretched and rebels and enemies of God and why, when we've done nothing to deserve it and we've sinned in such a way that we never could deserve it now and we can't fix it and our only hope is that God won't count all this stuff against us that he won't look at us and say here's what you deserve and here's what I'm giving you. Our only hope is that he would look at us and say what you don't deserve, I'll give you. What you don't have, I'll give you. What you can't earn, I'll give you. And what we find out is from all eternity past, that's who he's always been. That's how he's always seen you. It wasn't like he looked at you like, well, they've really blown it. I've got to figure out a way to fix it. Hmm. Holy Spirit, what should we do? Jesus, will you go? That's not how this worked out. He wasn't reacting to you blowing it. From the very beginning, he said, I love them, I choose them. He knew. He knew who you were. He knew what you were going to do. You've never caught him off guard. You've never surprised him. The worst, darkest thing that you've ever done in your life or the worst, darkest thing that you've ever hidden in your heart, he knew, he knew when Jesus was hanging on the cross and Jesus died for that, but he also knew from all eternity past when he purposed and planned in his own heart that he would send Jesus to die on the cross. He's always known it about you, and he's always chosen you. He's always chosen you. He's not letting you go now. (laughs) These 70, 80, 50, 100 years that you're on earth, do you know how infinitesimally small that is to all eternity in both directions? Do you really think that his love for you is going to wear out in this little bit of time? (laughs) It's never worn out from all eternity past. And it's stretching into all eternity future. And if we, if we even begin to grasp that just a little bit, I mean just, I can't make my fingers small enough. Do you know how differently we will live these 70 or 80 years on earth? If you believe the infinite, eternal God loves you this way with a never-ending, choosing love, the freedom that you have, to give yourself and pour out your life for him, to love others, the freedom that you have from self-protection and self-preservation and self-advancement and self-pity, like all the things of self, the freedom that you have from you because he's on your side. Or better yet, he's chosen you to be on his side. What else stands out to you? Other truths about God. Yeah, i <laughs> mm-hmm. So. There was a question that I assumed would come up today in these verses that I couldn't answer. A question just came up today from these verses that I can't answer. <laughs> uh, what he asked, he said in verse five, he predestined us as, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And then, and let's go ahead and just go. Let's just pull the tension out of this one sentence, this long, because we can. So there's one side of it, this choice that God made from all eternity past. But then look down here in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, you were sealed with the, Holy, the promised Holy Spirit. So in verse 5, we've got an eternal choice of God from all eternity past before the foundation of the world that depends solely on him that he's chosen you to be his child, to be in his family. He has chosen to adopt you in Jesus. And then in verse 13, we have, you have to hear the gospel and believe in order to be sealed by his spirit. And we've hit some great big truths about God today, and there's a whole lot more in this chapter, but I know that if we don't wrestle with this tension for a minute, um, that for some of you, like, it'll just keep being in your face so much. (laughs) that we may not hear anything else, so I'm going to, I'm going to do my best here to wrestle with it. And, and the first thing I want to say is what I said a minute ago applies right here. If we can't understand an infinite, eternal God, who he is in his nature, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and we can't understand eternity past, which we can't, that you may think you can, but if you think you can, that's just because you don't realize how much you don't understand it yet. All right then for you to understand how that infinite eternal God has worked from all eternity past and how that relates to our existence and our experience in this sliver of time that we exist here on earth, there's no way. Like we're talking about something that's so far beyond us. God God is pulling back the curtain a little bit and letting us peer into his eternal mind, his eternal purposes. And I would say we should expect to find something there bigger than we can fully grasp if you told me the infinite God is going to pull back the curtain and let you peer into his purposes from all eternity past and you'll fully understand it, I'd be like, well, that's not what it really is then. (laughs) Right? How's a finite, time-bound creature like me going to understand the infinite mind of God from all eternity past? I'm not. And so the first thing that tells me, oh, this really is true about God is that it's bigger than what I can fully grasp. It's beyond me. Now, God walks a step, but the thing is, God can walk you a million steps into an eternal, infinite plan, and there's still an infinite amount that you don't see and understand yet, right? It it doesn't matter how far you go into infinity, there's still infinity left. (laughs) I can't understand that. If I can't understand that. But what he does is every step he takes you is true and consistent with the whole thing. What he reveals is always true. It's just there's always more to know about him. It's one of the things that's going to happen when he finally glorifies these broken, finite, fallen bodies and unites us with Jesus and we're with him forever. If you think that worshiping God forever in heaven is going to get boring or repetitious at some point, it's because you haven't even started to flirt with the idea that Ephesians 1 is talking about. You could worship a new aspect of who God is and a new piece of what he's done in Jesus every second for the rest of eternity, and there'll still be an infinite amount of him to see for the very first time. Now, he's so rich and deep and beautiful that you may decide you want to spend a thousand years on one piece of what he's done for you. Well, you'll have that luxury too, because you can give a thousand years to this one thing that he did, and you've still got the rest of eternity to know the rest of him. But there's never going to be this moment, well, you know what? Seen that, done that. What are we going to do next? He's too big for that. He's too rich for that. He's too full for that. And when you get a billion, trillion years in, and you worship something new about it, there's a new facet to this diamond. And one of this great multitude of His church that He's saving and uniting and Jesus comes and they say, here's how I saw Him in my life. Here's how He revealed Himself to me. And they turn that diamond in a way that you've never seen it before. And this new facet of God's beauty erupts into view for the first time and you worship Him a million, billion, trillion years into eternity. That new thing you learn will be consistent with everything you've known about Him from now until then. Like that's what we're dealing with here. And I don't have the words for it. I can't, but, but here's just two things. Imagine uh, that, you know, the, the arch in St. Louis, imagine that somebody could build an arch way, way, way bigger than the arch in St. Louis. And you come up to it, though. I'm on the screen, yeah. And you see these two pillars down here that are running parallel to each other, and they extend up into the sky, and these clouds cover them. And for as far as you can see, you just got these two parallel columns running up in the sky. You look at it from our perspective, and you're like, there's no way those things ever intersect. Like, I know that parallel lines never intersect one another. What you and I don't realize is that somewhere out of view, if we could get up above those clouds, what these parallel lines are actually doing is this. And there's this massive arch, and just that top part's hidden by the clouds. That's the first thing I would say to you. About God's sovereign choice from all eternity past, and about your freedom and responsibility to choose him and respond to him in the gospel, is that somehow they look like they run like this to us. That's because we're down here on the ground looking up into the sky and we can't see far enough. That there's somehow, because both that they stand side by side over and over and over in scripture. Right here, you see it, verse five and verse thirteen. That somehow the sovereign choice of God from all eternity past and the reality of the fact that he created you as a being in his image with the ability to choose and the responsibility for what you choose, those things intersect somehow, somewhere up there in the mind of God. And if you start to believe that he's an infinite and eternal God, it's not that hard to believe that there's room in his mind for those things to intersect when there's not room in our minds. But the problem's not with how big this doctrine is, the problem is with how small our minds are. So that that that's the first illustration I thought of. But here's a couple more that they've been really helpful to me over time. Um, right before our oldest daughter Sydney was born, we had had a dog uh, named Annie that we'd had for about eight years. We had rescued her when she was an adult, so we're not really sure how old she was, but 13, 14. She got really sick, really old. It was time for her to die. Her kidneys were shutting down. Her liver was shutting down. Um, and one night she got in a spot where she was just like, I don't even know what the right word is for the sounds she was making, but she was squealing, wailing. And I knew like we just, it was time to take her to the vet and put her to sleep. So I took her to the vet, and we went in, and he put a shot and a little IV right here, and she laid her head down on my arm and died. Now, if I were to ask you this, what sounds like a really simple question, why did Annie die? What caused her death? And I want you to think through this with me for a minute. If I answered and I said, well, the vet gave her a shot, and that's why she died, how many of you would agree with that? Okay, this is a, a really a trick question, like <laughs> If I said, well, her heart stopped, and that's why she died, how many of you would agree with that? What if I said the medicine in her veins caused her heart to stop, and that's why she died? How many would you agree with that? What if I said I chose to take her to the vet? My choice is why she died. How many of you would agree with that? What if I said her kidneys and liver were failing, and that's why she died, because that's what caused my choice? How many would you agree with that? What if I said she was getting really old and her old age caused her kidneys and livers to fail? How many of you agree with that? What if I said Adam and Eve sinned thousands and thousands of years ago and sin spread into the world and death came through sin and because of that my dog died? How many of you would agree with that? (laughs) Now how many of you sitting here feel like, well that can't be. How can there be multiple causes of the same thing? That's a contradiction. Those don't fit together. Do any of you feel that way? It's okay if you do, but every one of those fit to me. And what we have, if you really think through it, is we have more immediate or direct causes. Like, really, the most direct cause of of Annie's death was her heart stopped. But there was a deeper cause behind that. Her heart stopped because of a medicine that was running through her body. So, so, you know, here's a a, it's one step less immediate, less direct, but it's also one step more ultimate. Like, this... The medicine was a more ultimate cause of her death than the heart-stopping. Do you see that? But the heart-stopping was a more direct cause of her death than the medicine. You with me? But we can go back another step. Why was the medicine there? Because he gave her a shot. right? And so the shot was less direct than the medicine, but it was more ultimate. And we can go back another step. Why did he give her a shot? Because I took her to the vet and asked him to. So my choice was more ultimate than the shot, but less direct. Why did I take him? Because my dog was in excruciating pain and wasn't going to get better. That affected my choice. Less less direct than my choice, but more ultimate. Why? Because her liver and kidneys were failing. Why? Because she was getting old. Why? Adam and Eve. (laughs) All those things are true. Ephesians does one more step from Adam and Eve. Why? The eternal, infinite purposes of God in his own mind and heart that include his love and adoption for you in Jesus. Now, there's no contradiction between that last one. We can't see all the links of the chain. And here's the thing I would say. In some ways, it's the least immediate one that we see. But it's the most ultimate. the ultimate cause The ultimate reason, and here would be my best attempt to answer your tension, the ultimate reason that you will stand in heaven someday and praise God for what he has done is because of God. It's because of a choice that God made for your good, not because of a choice that you made. The ultimate reason. And at the very same time, an immediate and direct reason why you will stand in heaven someday and praise God for what He has done is because you believed the gospel when you heard it. And that was actually easier for us. Like we see the people who share the gospel with us and we can point to that moment when I heard it and something came to life in my heart and I believed it and I responded in faith and it is 100% true to say, why are you saved or how are you saved? saved. I'm saved because so and so spoke the gospel to me and I believed. Absolutely. And he died because of that shot. Absolutely. And at the very same time, the ultimate cause and reason is God. And here's why this is so important. Because someday, we're all going to stand in heaven. And when people say, point to the deepest cause, point to the ultimate reason, who who really gets the glory for what happened in your heart and your life? Who really gets the credit for you being here? You're either going to say, me? Or God? Or God? realize, if you say me, (laughs) we're still in the same bottomless pit of sin that we've been in ever since Adam and Eve chose me over God in the garden. That this gospel of an eternal God doing a work that depends most deeply on him is the unworking, the undoing of the very thing that sin did to start with. That God will get the glory for his grace in your life and my life. That He is the ultimate answer, the ultimate cause of your salvation. And Him being the ultimate answer and the ultimate cause of your salvation encompasses everything else that matters within it, that people would speak the gospel to you, that you would hear the gospel and believe, that you would respond to His work in faith. It doesn't undermine all that. It enhances all that because God said, if God's the one who's doing that work, he, isn't, he hasn't just said what he's doing. He's also said how he's doing it, right? Like, we, Okay, so, so he's sovereign, and he has decreed that, this, that he is going to save people. He's also decreed how he's going to do it, and wrap your mind around this mystery, and then let's, let's shift to application for this morning. I know we've got a thousand more things in Ephesians 1. Two weeks from now, we'll look at them, but we're going to We're going to move to application right here. The eternal God who's had an eternal purpose in his heart and mind forever has said, here's how I'll carry out my purpose. My people will speak my gospel. They will take their physical mouths and they will say words in a fallen world and other people will hear them with their physical ears and I will do a spiritual work in people's hearts that save them for all eternity. That's how he does it. And it's consistent with his eternal purposes because he's the one who said, this is how I'll do it. But it means it matters when you speak the gospel. And it matters when you don't. It matters when you point people to Jesus. And it matters when you don't. And it matters when you believe in Jesus and you trust him. And it matters when you don't. It matters for all eternity. The, the full purpose and plan and power and grace and loving choice of God, <laughs> he's decided to infuse that into whether or not we are people who speak the gospel of Jesus to other people. I mean, you see it right here. When, when, verse 13, when did he work out his eternal purposes? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You've got to hear it and you've got to believe. For people to hear it, you've got to speak it. Like this is how he's doing it. And then also, just to see another really practical way right here, so I've, I've hammered on speak the gospel. Here's the other really practical thing. After Paul does all this mysterious stuff in verses 3 through 14, all this stuff that we can't hardly wrap our minds around, that we're wrestling with right now, for this reason, Because of this eternal work of God that started in eternity past before the foundation of the world, stretches into the present of him saving you, and then stretches into the future, which is where he ended there, stretches into the future of the guarantee of our inheritance till we acquire possession of the praise of his glory. This eternal work of God in both directions. Because of that, what does Paul do? For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul says, I look at the eternal work of God and it prompts me to pray. It inspires me to pray. Now, there are two different views of all this that would not be consistent with praying. One view is God's done everything in such a way that nothing we do matters. So what's the people i chosen? He's predestined. Nothing we do matters. Why would you pray? Obviously, that can't be the right understanding in verses 3 through 14 of Paul's immediate response to those verses is that he prays. The other view would be, hey, this depends on us, that my free will is the ultimate cause of anything that happens. I've got to choose. I, you know, I, I've got to make this happen in people's hearts. If that's true, why pray? Because God has no control over that. Right? If God's already determined to everything and nothing we do matters, don't pray. And if this depends entirely on people's free will and it's not a sovereign work of God, don't pray because he's not the one in charge of this thing. The only way this makes sense, the only way that prayer fits right here is if this mysterious wedding between these two truths is real. That God, when you pray, you're praying to the God who can bring about all things. You're praying to the God who from all eternity past has taken into account everything that will ever happen, including he's taken into account your prayer right here, right now. And back then, an eternity ago, he heard this prayer. And he took this prayer into account. And he said, I'm going to create in such a way that the answer to that prayer is built into my eternal work for all time. But your prayer really, really matters. Do you realize your prayer matters more then than ever before because your prayer is touching the work of God in eternity past. And at the very same time, if people are just robots and it doesn't matter what they do, then there'll be no reason to pray. But if they really do have to respond, then we're saying God's got to do something So they'll respond. It has to be a response. And so I believe that their hearts can be changed. I believe that at the very least, they aren't entirely free, like in the sense of nothing can influence them, but there are outside things that can work on people's hearts that if I pray right now, and God orchestrates events in history so that they hear the gospel and they're exposed to this and, and certain things happen in their life and they have experiences and circumstances that bring them to a point of desperation and humility and brokenness that that will actually change their heart and influence their decisions and they may respond to Jesus in faith. And so these two extreme views, it's either all this or all this, it doesn't fit, it's not just that it doesn't fit with what we see right here in the Bible, it doesn't fit with how we naturally operate in life. Like when you pray, you don't believe this or this. You don't. Now, I don't, I don't understand all the details. I don't see how it works, but I know it's true. I know it is. Because this is the way that God has spoken. This is what he has revealed. And every piece that he ever shows me does fit somehow. I just don't have all the pieces. The puzzle's bigger than like It's a billion-piece puzzle, and 242 fit on my kitchen table. All right? But those 242, they fit together. And they look like the picture on the box. He's me the picture on the box. <laughs> and they look like that picture. And so here's what I would say. When you start to see an eternal God like this, it should do a couple things in you. Number one, be humbled. You're not him. This is not your plan. <laughs> These aren't your purposes. You didn't come up with this thing. And you haven't been working it out and bringing it about for all eternity. He has and he is and he will. Be humbled in light of who he is. Number two. Be in awe. Do you know how big and great he is? Do you know how glorious is? He is. This is what worship really grows out of. Seeing who He is. And with this one, this is the last thing I want to point out in the text today as we wrap up. This one isn't hidden in the text at all. Over and over and over. Up here. The verse that we thought was so hard, verse 5, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Why did he do that? this mysterious, hard-to-comprehend work of God from all eternity past, what what did he intend to come out of that? To the praise of his glorious grace. If you encounter the truth about the eternal work of God and it doesn't prompt worship in you, it doesn't prompt you to praise him for the glory of his grace, you're not yet seeing it the way he's revealing it. You're not yet responding to it you're hung up on something down here when you should be looking and saying, that God, that God who's that great and that big, He loves me. He's chosen to love an itty-bitty wretch like me. All the grace and the wonder that He would ever do that. And so I would encourage you, don't get so caught up in, in philosophical objections that you miss the significance of just being in awe of who He is and in awe of the fact that He did it in love because He loves you. Because His love couldn't be contained. And it, it has spread into all eternity in both directions that He's been pouring out love towards you and choosing you in Jesus. So be in awe and worship. And then... Oh, and that's not the only place we have that phrase. Let me show you the others. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So there it is the second time. And then the third time here, after he circled... he circles from the eternal work of God now to your responsibility to respond in verse 13. And he says, you also, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so you see three times here him saying that this, this should be what happens in your hearts. This should be how you see God and respond to God primarily. That God has done everything he's done. So you'll see how glorious he is. You'll see how gracious he is, and his grace will prompt worship in your heart toward him. And so if you look at Ephesians 1 and you don't see grace yet, you're looking at it through the wrong lens. And that's okay. I can't tell you how much of my life I've looked at it through the wrong lens. And how sometimes in just like a moment I I can lose it, and I start focusing on these other things here, and I don't see him who's so big out there. But I'm telling you, you know you're looking at Ephesians 1 the right way when it's prompting worship in your heart for the grace of God. So be in awe, but then speak the gospel. There is nothing more powerful you will ever do with your life than to speak the gospel of Jesus because the gospel of Jesus is all the power of God from all eternity past to all eternity future to work out all of his purposes and plans to the praise of his glory. And he lets you tap into that power when you speak those words. Like if you believe this picture of God, make God known. A God of grace, a God of love, a God of choosing. Because the deal is, If everything we've said this morning is true, it doesn't matter what anybody looks like at this exact moment. How hard their heart seems, how much sin there is in their life, how badly they've messed up, how far they seem to be from God, because God's not choosing them based on any of that. God's choosing them based on the love that he has in his own heart. And that that type of love is available to anyone who will believe. Everyone who believes. All who believe, whosoever calls on the name of Jesus, God loves that way. And so you and I can't rule out anybody. We can't write off anybody. That love, this eternal love of God, is big enough to reach anyone. So speak the gospel. Be humbled. Be in awe. Speak the gospel. And then on my word, pray. 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 No, Father, that keeps shutting off this morning. Pray. God exists in a place we don't exist. God knows things we don't know. God can do things we can't do. Will we depend on him or will we depend on us? Like Paul, just when he's writing about it in this first chapter to this church at Ephesus, just in writing about it, it prompts him to pray. Like he doesn't get to the end of verse 14 and say, I don't understand any of that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm done. He gets to the end of verse 14. He says, how great and amazing is God. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask him to do I know we didn't walk through all of them, but we we can in a couple of weeks. I'm going to ask him to do spiritual things. Verses 15 through 22, all these spiritual requests. God, do this and enlighten their hearts. Give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Reveal them. Pour out the same power that you used when you resurrected Jesus on your church and build your church and fill them with the fullness of Jesus. If this is who God is, then I can ask him for that kind of stuff. If he's that big, I can ask for stuff that big. And so part of the reason I think that why a chapter like Ephesians 1 is so crucial for us when we're like, man, this makes my head hurt and I can't understand it. Why would we even bother with this? Just do something more practical. This is as practical as it gets. This is who God is. Do you want to know why we don't pray more? Because we don't believe this is who God is. If you start to believe this is who God is, you'll pray more. Every time I don't pray enough, it's because my view of God's wrong. Every time I start to see just a little bit of who God is, both in His greatness and in His grace, well, there's no, nothing makes more sense than to pray. His grace means He'll give, He'll give, and He'll give, and He'll give. Back in verse 8, it was the riches of His grace that He lavished on us. It wasn't like you have to come and you beg and you squeeze out a little medicine dropper of your grace on me. He's pouring it out. That's who you're going to. You're going to a being who wants to give grace to you. Abundant, overflowing, excessive grace. So if you understand his grace, you'll ask. But then if you understand his greatness, it's like whatever you ask for, whatever he wants to give you in grace, he's able to. Because of how big he is and how powerful he is. And because he's seen it all forever. That's who you're praying to. If you know that's who he is, you'll pray. And when we don't pray, it's because we're not thinking that that's who he is. And so if we need to come back week after week and be reminded who God is, like if it would make sense for us to gather every week and ask each other, what's this teach us about God? Maybe today we'll see a little more of who God is. You know why? Because that's the most practical thing in the entire world. That's the most important thing in the entire world. And we won't hold on to it. Right, we're this little itty bitty eight ounce styrofoam cup. And he's an infinite ocean of himself. And he pours himself in and went, Oh, I see who God is. And we run out this week and it sloshes out of our cup. And within 10 minutes, if you're like me, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, that you make it to Monday morning. But Monday morning, we forget who he is. And we're living again like this little world. And my view of this world is everything there is. And I'm going to make my choices based on who I am and what I think and what I see. And there's this. Infinite God with infinite grace and love for you. And so so I know I need to be reminded again again and again and again and again who God is because who God is affects everything else in our life. So this morning, be humbled just by the sliver of seeing who you are and who he is. Be in awe of who he is and worship him that that God loves you, that God chooses you, that God lavishes grace on you. Be motivated to speak the gospel, to make disciples, to walk out this week and say, I really am. I'm going to find somebody this week that God has purposed to bring into my life. And I'm going to say, can we pray together and read a chapter of the Bible together and see what it teaches us about God? Do you believe that the power of what he's promised exists right here and having people encounter him in his word, encounter the gospel of Jesus in his word? If you believe it, will you do that? Can we pray together? and read a chapter of the Bible together and see what it teaches us about God with somebody in your life this week. And then pray and pray and pray that God will do what only God can do in your heart, in my heart, in this church, through this church, in the world. Pray and pray and pray. So we're going to pray right now and then we're going to worship. Just a chance to respond to who God is. And look, I know we left a million things on the table today and it's okay. like it, It's great. There's so much more for us to come back to. This is who God is. Next week, we're going to be in John 12 uh, with Lou. So if you want to be reading ahead this week, do that. That'll give us two weeks to come back to Ephesians 1. And we'll just come back and we'll jump back in and we'll see how far we make it in two weeks. Um, if there's any way, if you, if you could give me the grace of making sure that you're here in two weeks so that we can try to button up some of this stuff, because I know like we just barely touched it. And I'll I'll think through, I've got a couple more illustrations in mind that may help us really reflect on who God is up here and how that relates to who we are down here. And I'll be happy to do that, like as a kind of a jumping off point back into the chapter. Um, And so if you could be here in two weeks or if you're not, if you could listen to both parts, if you're listening online and you listen to this one, I know you can't get there right now. God can, but we can't because it's two weeks in the future for us. But if you'll listen to that one too when it happens, just yeah, you don't have to but I would appreciate the grace if you put them together because this is really open-ended and we're stopping right now and praying. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Father, anything that I have said inadequately, because I know that my mind is too small and my words are too small, will you please, by your Spirit, do a supernatural work in our hearts? and show us who you are. Reveal yourself to us as only you can. And Father, I ask by the work of your Spirit in our hearts that you will humble us before you in a way that's a right response to you. I pray that we'll be in awe of you. That this thought, that the God of all reality has chosen me. That he wants me. That he loves me. That he looks at me and sees someone he wants. And he's been working for all eternity to make me his. Father, I pray that we would be overwhelmed and we would be in awe and our hearts would melt in response to your grace, to the praise of your glory. Father, I pray that we will believe you and that we will speak your word and we will share your gospel and we will point people to Jesus. And I pray that we'll be a church of prayer. We'll pray for your work and not ours. We'll pray for your power and not ours. We'll pray for your purposes and not ours. Please do this in us and please use us in this way. We need you to do it. It is so much bigger than us. It's bigger than anything we could ever do. We trust you to do it. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.